0: Well, we've been talking about Corinthians, we've been working through Corinthians, and we finished up 1 Corinthians chapter 13 last week. So we're going to start with chapter 14, and Paul is continuing on in discussing with the Corinthians about spiritual gifts. And he's trying to work with them through some issues. And we know that last week we talked about, as we finished up chapter 13, verses 8... 13, that Paul was talking to them about love. He'd been talking about love in chapter 13, and, and he was trying to help them understand that love never ends. Love is there forever. And it's important that we recognize that, because we can't really go on today without an understanding of where Paul has brought the Corinthians to. So let's pray and ask God to open our hearts, and then we'll dive right in. Lord, we are so grateful that... You are who you say you are, and that we have not created you out of our own thoughts or out of some type of metal or wood or stone, but rather, Lord, you are the creator. You are the one and true God. You were there from the beginning, and you will be there forever. The things around us, Lord, will end. The earth will end. The heavens will end. The spiritual gifts that we talk about will end. But, Lord, you are the God of love. And you are the God of order. And you will never end. You will be there forever. And, and that's such a blessing. Lord, would you help me today to clearly enunciate what it is that you would have for me to teach? And would you open all of our hearts to prepare us for your word today? And it's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. So in chapter 13, Paul was really trying to help the Corinthians understand it's not about the showy gifts, the gifts of prophecy and of tongues and interpretations and, and teaching. It's that those are good things and we're going to reiterate that today, but it's really about love. Love is the one thing that doesn't end. At the end of chapter 13 it says, And we've already talked about the fact that prophecy and tongues and tongues will cease. Prophecy and knowledge will stop and they will be done away with. But love will remain forever. And he says in verse 13, but now abide faith, hope, love these three. But the greatest of these is love. And now he goes on in 14 and he reiterates that. Just in case you didn't pick up on what I was getting at. He says, pursue love. That's really what you guys need to be about. The Corinthians had a problem. They were a loveless group. Must have been. I mean, why else would Paul continue to harp on them about love? The Corinthians were focused on themselves. That was it. You you presume that every morning the Corinthians woke up and thought, how can I bring attention to me today? What can I do that will set me above and apart from these other folks? How can I prosper? What, what, what can I do? So it was all about me, uh, for them. And they had a struggle, apparently, with loving people. And so Paul was telling them, you need to pursue this Corinthians. You've got to get beyond this morbid curiosity or morbid desire for some of these showy gifts. And through chapter 12, he talked about that. Chapter 13, he talked about it. And now chapter 14, he's going to finish this. And this is really where things end now for us with regards to dealing with some of these showy gifts and the speaking of tongues and other things. Yet, he says, continue on to verse 1, Yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy... For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. So now, Paul's trying to move on. So he's telling you guys, love. Corinthians, you need to be about love. I'm expecting some maturity. We talked about that last week. He was expecting the Corinthians to mature. It's time. It's time. When you were a child... It was fine to act like a child and think like a child and play like a child. But you're not children anymore, Corinthian. So I expect to see some maturation going on. I expect to see you guys doing some things that would exhibit your maturing. And now he's going to get back into what does that look like with them and help them out. One of the interesting things that happened in the early churches they read through this, they actually spurned spiritual gifts, they looked at it and they said, Paul talks about these spiritual gifts as not being good. So maybe we shouldn't even want spiritual gifts. And this was going on. And Paul was telling them, that's not the case at all. I want you to pursue love because it's the best thing to pursue. However, still, let's desire spiritual gifts. Dan Hardy, covering chapters 12 and most of 13, talked about the unity and the diversity of the body of Christ. And how that was an important perspective that we need to be unified in the body, but we're all different. None of us are the same. And we know that that Paul correlated the church to the body. And he would talk about body parts, right? Because there were issues of the eye. So everybody wants to be the eyeball, right? Well, that'd be great until you had to eat, right? You could see the food, but you couldn't reach out and touch it. And you couldn't put it in your mouth and you couldn't chew it. So there were issues associated with that. And Paul was trying to help the Corinthians to recognize you're this wonderful organism called the body of Christ. And every one of you is slightly different, but nonetheless absolutely critical for the working of the whole body. I'm a surgeon. I work on horses, so I get the chance to work on body parts all the time. And it doesn't work if you take certain things out. Some things you can remove, some things you can't remove. But the whole concept here is that everything's important in this body. So this body we call Windsor Community Church. Every one of you that's part of Windsor is critical. Every one of you is necessary in the growth and maturation of the body. If one of you maintains your childish activities while the rest of the body is growing the rest of the body will not mature to the level it needs to. So it's important that all of us grow. And Paul said we should desire spiritual gifts in our body. Our body should be looking for that rounding out, that absolute perfect position where we have all of the spiritual gifts, where we provide all of the body parts. We individually shouldn't necessarily ask for each of these gifts. I don't want them all. I shouldn't want them all. I should want the ones that the Spirit gives me because how do I get my gifts? From the Spirit, as the Spirit wills. It's not for me to decide what my spiritual gifts are. I can't wake up in the morning and say, you know, I've been doing some studying on these spiritual gifts. I would really like the spiritual gift of administration. So I think I have it. That's not my option, right? That's not the way God designed it. The Spirit gives the gifts. As the spirit wills and so it's not about me deciding these so when paul talks about desiring these spiritual gifts earnestly he's not talking to the body saying every single one of you ought to desire the gifts of prophecy tongues interpretation of tongues and teaching that's not his point at all his point is the whole body ought to desire that these gifts are active in the body not that each individual has them. That would be a disaster, right? We'd be right back to a whole body of eyes. Might look cool, but it'd be very ineffectual. And it wouldn't last long, because it would starve. It wouldn't be able to get anywhere. Get this whole amorphous mass of eyeballs. Isn't going to work. The same thing, if we all desired the same spiritual gift, it would be a disaster. And it wouldn't be in God's plan at all. There's some interesting parts here as we go in talking about tongues now. In verse 2 it starts, For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. There's a lot of debate on, on what goes on here in this. There's one camp that talks about the fact that Paul preferentially uses tongue, singular, for those pagan languages of gibberish. At the time, there were obviously lots of pagan rites, rituals going on, no different than today. And they would gibber and make weird noises and sounds. And the church of Corinth would do that as well when they were using their tongue. So there's one camp that would say when Paul talks about singular tongue, he means the pagan gibberish. When he talks about plural tongues, he means languages. So there aren't multiple gibberishes. There's only one non-language, that's what Paul would point out, whereas there are multiple languages. And we go in and talk about uh, verse 10, where Paul mentions the fact that there are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, but there is none without meaning. So there's one group that would say that that's the case, and it explains then when Paul goes on and says, for who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men, but to a God, not God is with capital G, like the God, but to a God, demons, to Satan worship. There's another group that would say, no, tongue, tongues, it doesn't matter. It's all about languages. Tongue or tongues are about a language, a known language. There's no unknown languages in this. So don't get caught up in that. In the King James Version, before the singular tongue, it always puts unknown. So they would speak in an unknown tongue, singular, to a God, low case G, which would then indicate again that this is something that isn't the known language. It's not usable. It's not valuable. It has no meaning. Regardless of which way you want to come down on this, the concept is the same. The reality is that when we use tongues inappropriately, nobody benefits. I dearly wanted to come up here today and start this message in some foreign language. And I tried a little bit, but realized it would have been a horrible embarrassment for all of us for me to try that. I tried Portuguese, but I just couldn't make it work. And just to kind of bring a point across, what if I did that? What if I got up here and I spent the whole time in a different language? Does anybody here speak Portuguese? I'd have been safe, so nobody could have laughed too loud. But what if I do that? What value would it have? What good would it be for you? Why would we waste our time if I got up here and spoke in a language that nobody understood? And Paul's going to get to that in a little bit as well. The biggest problem with all of this was the perspective that it's not edifying. So for me to get up here and speak in Portuguese, that may look cool because I can speak in Portuguese, But if you don't benefit from it, who's the one who's getting the looks? Me, right? So am I edifying the body with that? Or am I edifying the body speaking in English? That was the whole point Paul was trying to bring to these guys. And he really uses this over and over. The whole term edify is an architectural term. It's borrowed from the architect. And it means to build up. To take and lay a foundation and build from that. So we edify the body by building up and encouraging the body, by teaching the body, by sharing God's word with the body, not by me getting up here and speaking in Portuguese, because none of you would benefit because you don't understand the language. And we're going to talk about the whole concept of tongues next week and the specifics of how to use them, because there were reasons and ways to do it. In verse 5, Paul goes on to say, Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. But even more than that, you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. So here's a really interesting concept in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 28. It talks about, and we're going to cover this more next week. God said, if you're going to use these gifts, there are ways to use them. They are all about edifying the body. Anytime you use a spiritual gift, no matter what it is, if you use it for yourself... That's not the right way to do it. That's not the way God planned it. In verse 28 it says, But if there's no interpreter, let the one who is going to speak in tongues keep silent in the church. That's it. Don't, make, don't say anything. Don't bring it up. If there's no interpreter, don't do that. Why would it be good to speak in tongues? What could you think of that might make speaking in tongues useful? Wouldn't it be cool? To be able to go to a country you've never been to before, walk off the airplane or boat or whatever it is that got you there, and speak to the people and share the gospel in a language you have never spoken before in your life. Wouldn't that be astounding? Wouldn't it be cool to be able to take that and use that for the furtherance of the kingdom? Not for you, but for the kingdom? Well, I think that was Paul's concept here. Hey, wouldn't it be great? You know, Paul, as we know, traveled all sorts of different places. How many different dialects do you suppose the countries that Paul visited? Who knows? I mean, hundreds probably. And wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to reach out to these people because you could speak their language even though you didn't know their language? That's the concept that Paul was getting at here. Hey, wouldn't it be great... That would be so wonderful for the furtherance of the kingdom. But but Corinthians, you're not going out. You're not going to do this stuff anyways. You're staying here. You're staying in your home church. And you're using these gifts wrongly. You're using them incorrectly. You're staying home and you're doing this so people look at you and lift you up. And idolize you, and you look showy, and you look good, and you look all that's not the purpose behind it. It'd be far more valuable for you to prophesy. Open the Word of God. Well, we didn't have we had the Old Testament at the time of the Corinthians, we didn't have the New Testament. But at the same time, his point was teach God. Don't bring attention to yourself. Don't draw people's eyes to you. That's not what this is about. This is not the goal. The goal isn't to have everybody look at you and say, Wow, you can speak in different languages. Wouldn't that be cool? He wants us to use the gifts we're given. Some of us will have the gift of mercy. Some of us will have the gift of teaching. Some will have the gift of discernment. All of those are important as we go forward as a body. And we help each other out, and we encourage. I am not terribly merciful. And that is a weakness, and it's an area that I continually have to work on. And yet, my wife is merciful. One of the boys is very merciful, and it helps me a huge amount by seeing the mercy that they share and that they have, and the compassion they have for this difficult situation. And I grow from that every time I'm involved. There are a number of people in this body who just exude mercy. And I love to be around them because it rubs off and it helps me. And that's the whole concept. On the other hand, God has given me the ability to stand up and to teach, and to be more discerning. And that's not that I still don't have a lot of work to grow in those areas. But I'm more gifted there than I am in mercy. And God uses that in different ways as well. Paul's pointing out here, even if all of us in this body could speak in tongues, it would be better if we all prophesy. That would be better for the body than being able to speak in tongues. Now, we discussed last week that for all intents and purposes, it appears that the gift of tongues has Ceased Bible talked about that, and it probably ended at the end of the apostolic age. They no longer needed the sign gifts, the gift of miracles, the gift of tongue. Those weren't necessary anymore because God's word already now was well defined. When the word was written down, they probably came to an end. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that God can't use tongues. That God couldn't give somebody the gift of tongues today to glorify himself and to further his kingdom. But I'm going to tell you that that doesn't seem to fit with what the Scripture shows. But I'm going to say even more so, especially next week, the way tongues typically are used, they don't fit at all with the way God said they were to be used. So regardless of whether God has stopped the gift of tongues or not, in the vast majority of churches in America, they are incorrectly used. So they don't even fit with what God was doing. They fit far more with what the Corinthians were doing. Gibberish that was of no value gibberish that did not help or edify the body. So we'll talk about that more. But then Paul comes in and says, let me give you an example, Corinthians. So in verses 6 through 9, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by the way of revelation or of knowledge, of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp and producing sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones... How will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. You will waste your time. Corinthians, what's the story here with you guys? The Apostle Paul says to these guys, Even if I came to you, and I came speaking in tongues, And I didn't have any value behind it. There was no teaching. There was no prophecy. There was nothing there. No revelation of knowledge. What good is that? Jesus never spoke in tongues as far as we can tell. Didn't need to, I guess. Certainly wasn't recorded. Interestingly enough, we know Paul talks about the fact that he has the gift of tongue. It is actually never shown to us in the New Testament of him using it. He talks about the fact that he's used it, but it's never depicted that he did. It's an interesting perspective. It's something that I think he discussed and talked about, but it's not something that he held in very high esteem because he thought there were more important things. There were better things for the body to be focusing on. And his perspective was very basic. If you're going to use tongues, they need to be used where there's interpretation. If there's no interpretation, the tongue shouldn't be used. Now, you have to step back and ask yourself, in a setting like this, in our body, what would, honestly, the benefit be of speaking in tongues? What would the edification of the body be, even if there was an interpreter? Does everybody here speak English? Yeah, Why is it then that there would be a need for someone to get up and speak in a different language only to be interpreted by somebody else to share that? What would be the purpose? And I think that's what Paul is trying to share with these guys. It's not about in a body like this to speak in tongues. Speak in English. Speak in Greek if you're in Corinth. But why would you bother? We don't need to. The whole concept of speaking in tongues is to go places where people who don't speak your language can understand you. That was a whole thing in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. God had a whole bunch of people who spoke a whole bunch of different languages in the area. And when Peter and the others spoke, they spoke in Aramaic, but the people heard them in their own language. It's going to happen again. We know that in the end times in Revelation, we're going to have the two prophets who are going to speak, and they're going to speak in Hebrew, but everybody that's there will understand them in their own language. Why? Because that's powerful. That's edifying. That's growing the body. But if you don't need to do that, then what would be the purpose in doing that? And that was one of the things that Paul was talking about. And he'll talk about even more in verse 10 and 11. Basically, he was trying to tell these guys, this is useless. Your nonsensical chatter is useless. You gain nothing other than the focus on you. And that doesn't help. That doesn't gain anybody. It doesn't even help the person who's doing it because they're doing it incorrectly. And they're bringing disfavor upon themselves by doing that. In verses 10 and 11, We go on, there are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. Now, barbarians weren't very highly thought of in the Corinthian structure of things. In fact, is they were on the lowest rung of the totem pole, both socially and nationally. Anybody that did not do and did not act as the Corinthians that they considered a barbarian were considered at the bottom of the bottom. So Paul's bringing up something that they understand very well because the Corinthians looked very much down upon people that were different than them. They did not like people who did not believe and act and do as they did. And so Paul said, well, great. What good is it? If somebody comes in here and listens to you guys and you're gibberish, you're going on and on and on with gibberish, they're going to think you're out of your mind. They are going to think you are crazy. And now, how does that benefit God? What good is it if somebody walks into Windsor Community Church and I'm up here doing some type of gibberish or hopping around, something that nobody understands? How does that benefit them? How does it benefit God? And how in the world can we expect them to want to come back? How will we share with them the wonderfulness of salvation? How will we share with them the riches of our God and his kingdom? How will we share with them the importance of understanding that eternity is eternity and you'll spend it either with God or completely away from him? But eternity is going to happen. How will we share that with them if they refuse to come back because they think I am out of my mind, I'm crazy, that I have lost touch with reality. How will we do that? And that's what Paul was trying to share with them. I remember very well an opportunity I had to go to Brazil. It was about six years ago, and I was invited down by a university in southern Brazil, and I was going to be giving some talks on arthroscopy and laparoscopy and horses. And the gentleman that invited me down there was fluent in multiple languages, but they included Italian, German, English, Spanish, and Portuguese, at least. There were five, and I knew that because there was one time where there were seven of us gathered together, and there was a guy from Germany who spoke German and English. There was myself who spoke some English, there was a guy from Argentina that spoke only Spanish. There was a Brazilian that spoke only Portuguese. Uh, we didn't have anybody do an Italian, but he did show us a little example of that anyway. But this man, we were standing in this kind of rough circle, and he would just, as he talked to each person, he would shift languages. It was the most astounding thing I'd ever seen in my life. And then he would translate for those who would speak one language but not others to all the rest of us. And we're just sitting there, and I was marveling at it. One time though he turned to me and he started in German. I just put my hand up. And he stopped and it he recognized. But he had told me something that was no doubt valuable, but it was completely useless to me, because I couldn't understand a single word he said. And he laughed immediately switched to English and told me what he wanted to tell me, and then went back on and started doing this. In the about 30-minute discussion that we had with the four different languages that he was using, that was the only time that he turned to the wrong person in the wrong language and used it. And it was just perfect. I mean, everything was seamless and presumably flawless as he spoke to everyone. The benefit of that was that he was helping to bring this group of people together together He was trying to get us all on the same page so that we could move forward with the next day's planning and what was happening and going on. It was the example, though, that if you would have come in and you spoke a different language than this and you sat there, it would have been of no value whatsoever. So this man's great skill linguistically would have been a total waste if a Norwegian came up. So those are the concepts that Paul's trying to bring here. If people can't understand, even this great skill that this man had would have been useless. Because they can't understand anything he's saying. It doesn't matter what you have to offer if you can't offer it in a way that the other person can understand. And that was Paul's perspective to the Corinthian. Don't waste your time with the gibberish because it's not helping. Regardless of what it is you think you're saying and doing... You're not helping anybody. Verse 12, he says, so also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. So he goes back and he's talking about verses 10 and 11. And he's telling how you're going to be a barbarian if you keep up this gibberish and this useless chatter that's not helping anybody. You're zealous of spiritual gifts. He's going to give that to them. He said, I understand you are. You're zealous. Abound for the edification. Come on, guys. This is not about you. It's about the body. And if it's not about the body, then shut up. Zip it. Sit back and listen. Don't jump in to draw attention to yourself. Let God work through the body. And if there's somebody that needs something from the body, allow the person God has gifted there to deal with it. And don't be nonsensical. Don't be a barbarian. Seek for edification, for growth, for building up, for maturing of the body. That's what you need to be looking at. Give up this childishness at some level and do that. In verses 13 through 17, he starts to bring some order to this. Okay, some of you are going to insist upon speaking in tongues. And I, I recognize that. But... Let's recognize a couple important things. Number one, it is a language. It is a known language. It is not gibberish. Gibberish is a waste of time. Number two, if you're going to speak in a tongue, someone has to interpret. Either you have to interpret or somebody else in the body needs to interpret. So he says in verses 13 through 17, Therefore, let the one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray in the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen at the giving of thanks? Since he does not know what you are saying. For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. So Paul's bringing up the perspective here. Make no mistake, gibberish is garbage, tongues are languages. Don't make any confusion with that, because Paul is very clear about that. This is not a point of discussion for him. This is not an option to say, well, it could be this, it could be that. When he's talking here about, when I pray in the Spirit, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. I've heard people say, Ah, well, that's that deep groaning that we have in the spirit. No. There are languages, and those are what tongues are. They are not gibberish. There is nowhere in the Bible where it leads any credence to praying in this unknown language, or this misunderstood or not understood language, or not understood moanings or sounds. The Bible doesn't give us that. The Bible says there are languages. There are no languages that are not understood. There are a great many of them in verse 10, it tells us, but everyone has a meaning. We need to use that as our foundation. It does no good to go to these next verses if you don't accept that. But Paul's very clear with that. He he is rock solid. We are not talking about two different groups of speaking here where in a body we're going to speak in languages. But when I get to go out on my own and I'm in my dark place where I'm praying, I can use this kind of moaning and groaning of thing. That isn't there. The Bible doesn't support that as, as what this means. So he says, if I pray in a tongue, in a language, if I speak in a different language while I'm praying, but not one that I understand... What good is it? I don't even benefit from it. So if I go off on my own and I pray in a different language that I don't know, what's the value? I don't even edify myself. I don't even know what I'm praying to God. He said, you need to not do that, guys. You really, you really need to do what is right. So, Pray in the Spirit. That's great. Man, we need to be in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our conscience. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. The Holy Spirit allows us to understand the Word. The Holy Spirit gives us our spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit is a critical part of our lives. And don't ever underestimate the importance of it. But, don't forget your mind. Don't leave your mind behind. You guys could put that up there on your mirrors or, or whatever. Regardless of what you're doing, praying, singing, in church, whatever it is, keep your mind active. God did not intend for us, based upon what I can find in the Bible, to pray in tongues. He intended for us to pray to God with our mind and our spirit. In verses 18 and 19, he says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However... In the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. He's not condemning the genuine use of tongues. At this point in time, Paul understood the critical nature of genuine use of other languages and the importance of that. He's very big on that. And it's interesting, many people say that based upon what Paul wrote here in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, that he obviously was really jealous of the Corinthians because they could all speak in tongues and he couldn't. That doesn't appear to be the case at all. Paul's not jealous because he does talk about the fact that he can speak in tongue. He doesn't, however, actually, he doesn't ever tell us where he's done that. We just have to assume because we know who Paul and Paul's character that when he said he had, he had. His desire, however, is to teach others. That's where his heart is. Paul's desire is to see others grow and mature and to change. So as we summarize, Paul's basic comments here, that tongues are inferior to prophecy and teaching as a means of communication, as a means of praise, and a means of evangelism. It's not bad to have tongues. The reality is it's just not that good compared to the other gifts, especially in a setting like this. Where tongues really were valuable were going into places where, where the languages were unknown to the speaker. But then remember that all of these are inferior to love. That love is more important than all of them. And really what it comes down to for us as we go through these and talk to them. And as Paul was talking to the Corinthians is, is it more important that I shine or that God shines? Where is the importance in that? Is it more important that I stand up here in front of you and you're awed by my ability to speak in different languages or my ability to do this or that or or whatever? Or is it more important that I humbly open God's word and share what he has taught me through it? I would say that that's a pretty easy answer. It's obviously more important to honor God to honor me. That's not what it's about. Now, the challenge that we all get, whether we're here teaching, whether we're up in the worship team or whatever, is not being the center of attention. It would be cool to be able to give the whole message from the back and have you not see me. Right? That would at some level show the effectiveness of opening God's Word. Because I wouldn't be here for you to look at. You would be in your Word, opening the Bible, looking through the verses. You'd be thinking, you wouldn't be focusing at all on me. We just haven't figured out how to do that yet. But I would love that because I think that in some cases we all have the tendency to bring things That we shouldn't bring to them. I've shared stories before how I have really struggled with that at times. I teach. It's what I do. It's part of my job. I, I do surgery and I teach. So standing in front of people doesn't concern me. I've had the opportunity to do it a lot. I don't get nervous about doing it. So I have a tendency then to use my own strength. To do these things, and that's always a wreck. And I remember, and some of you have already heard the story, so I apologize to you, but for those who haven't, I think it's valuable for us to look at. The first time I had a chance to open the Word at Mountain View, I was gonna wow everybody with my ability to speak and to do this, because I do it a lot. I've received, by God's grace, numerous awards for teaching, right? So I, and I knew that. So I was gonna bring something really special. And God realized I was doing this all on me, all on my strength, all on what I brought to the table. And he knew that, and he knew that I needed something to get in the way of doing that. So I was excited. I was ready to go for this, and and I had this wow message plan. And I spent all Saturday night doing emergency surgery. I left the home probably late evening, and I came home at 6 o'clock in the morning. All night long. Just one case after another, one emergency after another. We were in there just going away. And the whole time, God was just chinking away at my pride. He was just chinking away at my self sufficiency. And He was just wearing me down to the point where I had nothing. When I got up to teach that day, I had nothing. I was exhausted. I was weary. And I was more available to God than I could have ever been without that. And so now before I teach, I pray that God will help me to be useful to him and that I don't have to learn this lesson anymore because I don't really want to be that tired again. God is a God of order. We're going to talk next week about when you use spiritual gifts, how should they be used? What should it look like? And how do we stay out of the trap of glorifying and bringing all the focus onto ourselves? So with that, as we prepare and transition to a point of communion, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you continue to work in us. Lord, I know there's a lot more that you have to do with me to make me really useful for you. But I cling to the promise that you who have begun a good work in me will bring it to completion. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful that you have not left us to our own devices, but rather, Lord, you continue to mature us. You continue to grow us. You are such a great and wonderful God, Lord. And I just thank you for bringing Paul to the Corinthians. And I thank you for the problems the Corinthians were having because it gives us something to look at and understand better. Lord, we know that only you can change us, only you can give us the gifts, and only you can really teach us. But we ask you to keep working on us here as a body at Windsor Community Church, that we would be more and more the body that you need us to be, and that we, Lord, would continue to reach out to our community and those around us, and that we would share your truth. Help us, Lord, and I know I have never heard anybody here even attempt to use the gift of tongues, But, Lord, it's not just tongues, I guess. It's everything about spiritual gifts. But help us to be edifying with the gifts that we have. Help us never to use them in a way that would bring attention and focus on ourselves. So thank you for all you do for us. Thank you for your amazing gift of salvation. And I thank you so much for all the folks here in the body that helped to teach me and to encourage me and to help use all of their gifts for the edification of the body. And it's in Christ's wonderful and holy name we pray. Amen.